Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 47 of Forever Strength. I'm here with Bailey Lau. I'm Andrew Coates. And we have a guest today, my friend Kate Callahan of Level Up Coaching. And... Uh, Kate is Kate and I both spoke at the Real Coaches Summit back at the beginning of March. That's where we kind of got connected, and uh, she had a really engaging presentation. And we hear a lot about quote mindset stuff, and and now that can be sort of a bit of a nebulous term. But I think we're going to go into a bit more of a dive and to help people understand. But as always, Bailey has prepared a whole bunch of cool stuff for us. So uh, welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. All right, Bailey, what do you got in store? Yeah. And by cool stuff, you mean questions. And I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just curious to know how you sort of got started in the fitness industry. Yeah. Great question. So um, I grew up an athlete. I played sports my entire upbringing. I grew up in a single parent home and my mom worked many jobs. So after school, it was either you go on the other side of the, the racetracks and you get kind of into drugs and partying and stuff. Um, or you go to the rec center and you pick up sports. And luckily I was really close to my brother. So I learned to run routes because he was the quarterback of the football team and picked up basketball and kind of got into strength training and just really spent a lot of time with him. And that's really where my passion for health and fitness came from. Yeah. Nice. And so is there any sport that you sort of specifically yeah, as I got older, yeah, as I got older, I had to niche down in what I wanted to excel in. Um, so I ended up playing Division One basketball in college. Um, it was kind of a pipe dream. I long story behind that entire journey, um, but it was my dream from childhood to be able to play at a high level, and I ended up making that happen through kind of the long road, if you will. But uh, it was entirely rewarding in the end. So that's kind of where my career took me. Yeah, that's awesome. So then with high level basketball, you usually come to injuries. Did you go through any of that? I tore my patellar tendon my senior year, actually. So it was catastrophic. I was supposed to play overseas professionally. That was like where I was going. That was like my life stream. Um, and it ended in a game. And I actually ended up playing on a partial tear for a long time. They would like shoot me up with cortisone shots, do the whole PT countless hours of that until the medical doctor on the team was like, ethically, I can't clear her to play anymore. So anymore. surgery and all that stuff ended that uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. So were you able to go back to sport then or just not to that same level? I think for me, I don't know how to explain this. And maybe you, you can relate if you played anything kind of higher level. Um, but I think the hard thing for me was after that, you're never the same after you have that, that big of an injury. And so I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's heart. I don't, I don't know what it is, but for me, it's entirely difficult to pick up a basketball and like play and not be super competitive. And so I can't like people are like, just go play in a league and like have fun with it. And I'm like, I am not built like that. Like if I'm going to pick up a basketball, I want to pull out all of my AI moves and just fuck people up. And I yeah. don't have that 
the capacity of my body, my, the, my leverage, especially my left knee, it just doesn't have the capacity to load the way that it did and be as agile as I once was. So I just haven't gotten back into it. Yeah. And so most of your stuff is on mindset. Do you think that, I mean, obviously mindset's really important for athletes, but what was sort of your journey with that? So from a young age, I would say, and, and Kobe was my favorite athlete. And I say that for a reason, because he always had like that alter ego in him. And as a child, like growing up, my mom was phenomenal. My mom is the greatest human on the planet of earth. Um, but I think as a child, I had two older brothers. I had an older brother and sister who were twins. And so I was very independent from a very young age. And they both excelled in their own arenas. My older sister was very academically savvy. My brother was an athlete as well. And so I was always, and I was high level. I did very well in school and very well in sports, but I was never like the child. And so for me, it's like all of the anger that I had for my dad not being present and feeling somewhat inadequate. I was just able to channel that in a positive way to like let out that anger as a kid. And so for me, it was a way for me to like shift into a different identity where I could express myself without having to say anything. And so that was my outlet creatively on that level. And so for me, it was it was a way that I could tap into myself and express myself in a positive direction of all of that built up energy. And so when I talk about mindset stuff, for me, it was a deep dive mostly through it to be able to tap into what motivates me when I'm tired, when I don't feel well, like how do you show up and perform? And so understanding myself and what makes me tick allowed me to excel when I was training for eight hours a day and on minimal sleep. And then you're up at 4 a.m. to be at the gym and then you have conditioning and then strength training and then private practice and then game film and then all day of school. And then you come back and you do it day and day again. Um, And then when I tore my knee, I lost my sense of self. And because my identity had become this high level athlete, it was like, that's who I am. And I loved that. And it was everything that I was known for. But on the other side of truly aligning your identity with something that you do, when that goes away or you shift paths, I was so lost. I was like, who am I? I don't know. Like, I don't even know. And so that's where I first got into, I really wanted to understand myself and who I was like fundamentally as a person and leaning into that and then kind of overcome the obstacle of, okay, well, if that's not the path, then what path am I going to take? In what direction do I go? And so a lot of it was like leaning into, well, actually the time flies when I engage in this type of activity, or I really enjoy this pursuit. Like for me, being a high level athlete was never cool to be a nerd. Like back in the day, like you'd get beat up if you were like caught in, you know, in the back of the bus, like studying your biology book. Um, But I actually really loved science. I was, I was very passionate about knowledge. And so when I started leaning into that, that's when I went to USF and I got my master's there and I studied exercise science under Dr. Bill Campbell. And I was able to be in the performance and physique enhancement lab. And then I worked with Dr. Buckner and we looked at the differences between strength and hypertrophy and then sports psychology with Dr. Nick Martinez. So I loved research. I loved being a nerd, but I couldn't express that side of me when I was an athlete. Like I was a really good student, but never too smart. Um, And so it was just this, this, all of this self-exploration. And I found that as I started to branch out in different things, I always wanted to be accepted because I still had that level of like, I'm somehow inadequate as I am. So I have to shape shift myself to appease the opinions of other people, even at the expense of my, my thoughts of myself. And so when I was out of 
super out of alignment at one point in my life. And it wasn't anything like bad that I was doing. It was just a lot of myself that I wouldn't express. I'd hold back what I disagreed with or, or didn't align with or didn't think was cool. Um, and that gave me a lot of anxiety. So I went through a period of my life back in 2018 where I like had debilitating anxiety. And for me, instead of just taking medication, cause I've, I've never really believed in that. I was like, there's, this is out of my nature. Cause I know myself, like I've never been a super anxious person. So then I started deep diving into figuring out, well, what is the root cause of that? Like what is making me anxious? And it was because I had conformed myself or my sense of self to fit a mold that, that wasn't meant for me. And so once I had that realization, then of course you have to make a decision. And that's where a lot of my life started to change. And throughout 2000 and I would say 16 is when everything happened with my knee. I also came out of a very abusive relationship at that time. So I had, was just completely lost. Mm -hmm. Then growing through that and trying to work through all of that stuff, that's where psychology really came into the game for me because it was mostly just self-taught at the time. And it was for me really to be able to compartmentalize and then filter through my own thoughts and emotions and like figure out what was going on. And then through that pursuit and over time, it's been able to be something that I've built out more frameworks and understanding myself and how to like shift my own perspective or get myself motivated or tell myself to calm down. It's like just being able to truly integrate my sense of self with my actual self, which has been the catalyst of, of where I am today. So I'm really passionate about mindset because I think that once you understand yourself, you then control every outcome, regardless of the shit storm that happens around you. And perception is reality. So the way that you perceive anything is how you experience everything. And so for me, being able to shift my perspective and look at life through a different lens just amplified the quality of my life. And it's something that I help a lot of people do because I think that a lot of people look at the world through a very dirty lens. And so if you can, if you can clean that off or get a new set of contacts, it's like, it's not as bad as you think it is. And you have way more power than you believe that you do. And so as a coach, like my job is to empower people to make the right decision for themselves, regardless of what I think. It's not about me. My goal is to help you do the best thing that you can for you. And if whether that's working with me or not working with me, like I'm happy either way because it's what's best for you. But I think that a quality of being a good coach is that you can help people take their power back into themselves and take control of their life. And if you can give them that, then they can excel in any arena that they want to, which is why, yes, fundamentally I focus on health and fitness, but we also do personal development because it's like, if you don't start in here, regardless of what changes for you aesthetically, if if nothing fundamentally about you changes, the, the changes that you make are not likely to sustain you long-term. And so it's it's all of that integrated into, into one thing, which is now level up. Yeah. You've got a whole bunch of stuff in there. And I think there's sort of a spectrum that I think is worth at least pointing out. So you alluded to, by the way, when you said AI, uh, I know that you meant Alan Iverson, who is a... <laughs> people are probably like ai like ai technology no literally <laughs> you know a, a living basketball player who was super uh, but you also referred to this sort of blood and guts and hustle and you know poor sleep and all this sort of stuff which i mean it's hard to say did that create the injury we know that though some of those things that you were doing increase the likelihood of that injury and you sort of asked if bailey could relate to this plays high level soccer currently dealing with a torn acl and, you know, there's that whole identity thing. So I want to take this identity thing for a second. And, and I want to go into that. But 
we've got this, you know, hustle mentality, the David Goggins, you know, you know, don't quit. You can, your mind is capable of pushing your body to inhuman limits until you break it literally, which I think is a dangerous place to go. Yep. And then there's the disempowering narratives that we see everywhere under the guise of, you know, empathy and kindness and caring for people. But a lot of that stuff I think is really just shielding people from dealing with struggle and difficult decisions and saying, Hey, it's okay. The odds are stacked against you. So it's all right that you're failing. So it's not even worth trying. Where's the sweet spot with that? How do you get there? So I think uh, the first thing is you have to be willing to do something difficult. But I also think understanding temperament is important, which is why when I'm speaking to someone, I want to know their history and not just their history with dieting, but their history of their life pursuit, right? If I can understand the degree in which they will push themselves, that lets me know how effectively I need to coach that person. Right. So if I have someone who is more of the type A extremist, one of the best messages that I can give them is just because you're willing to suffer does not mean that you have to. And so let me show you how to achieve this goal without ruining your life. Right. You don't have to work out seven days a week and spend three hours a day in the gym and eat chicken and broccoli and measure everything perfectly to the gram and never go out and, you know, say no to events or whatever it might be. Right. Because again, fundamentally, if it doesn't fit your life, it's not going to be a long term change. And so that shift in perspective is also entirely fear, like fear bearing for them because it's like, okay, well, I don't have to do all the things, but I've always done all the things to the best of my ability and taken it too far. So I don't know what the middle ground feels like. And so that's entirely uncomfortable. And so it's, it's that person that I speak to, it's slowly walking them back on the line to show them one day of rest didn't do any harm, right? One meal out with your husband didn't do any harm, Right pulling back on that cardio, we're still fine. And so it's, it's meeting them where they're at and being able to pull that back And the same principle on the other side of the coin. So if you have someone that believes that regardless of whether I try or not, like I'm just not going to make it, you know, my question is always, well, how long have you really given this a shot for? How long have you truly been consistent for? And what do you believe you have to sacrifice in order to achieve that goal? Because right? a lot of people, based on narratives, if we're talking about health and fitness or working out or building muscle, everybody has invested in a certain narrative that has cultivated the beliefs that they have, right? Which has driven their behavior to either engage and face that to the extreme level or not engage at all. And so for me, I'm asking a lot of questions because I want to understand why they believe what they believe, first and foremost. Once I understand why they believe what they believe, I can give them logic and evidence as to, well, maybe that's not true, right? And let's work that back. And from there, I can say, okay, what is one thing? And I always ask clients, what are you afraid of, right? Give me a list. Like based on this endeavor, this journey together, what are you afraid of? And so for some people, it might be prepping my meals and taking it to work because everybody eats in the lunchroom and they bring donuts every day, right? Or it's saying no to alcohol because my friends always love to party and I want to be able to hang out with them, but I don't want to be the weird one. It could be anything. It could be a, a plethora of things. I've never been to the gym. Uh, I'm out of shape and I'm afraid to walk in there, right? Anything. And I go, okay, what is one of those fears that you are willing to overcome, right? And usually it's the lowest level one, one that doesn't require a ton of effort for them to do. So if someone's fear is going to the gym, I'm going to say, cool. All I want you to do this week is I want you to take your gym clothes to work. So that as soon as you get off, you don't go home. So you don't have an excuse not to go. I want you to drive to the gym. And I, all I want you to do is get out of your car. I want you to walk into the building. I want you to walk back to the locker room and I want you to put your sneakers on. 
And if indeed you go back to that locker room and you put those sneakers on and you still do not feel like working out, you can leave. And I have never had a client that didn't work out that day, even if they just got on the, on the treadmill and walked for 30 minutes, right? But it's the fear of, well, I walk in and all these people are going to look at me and then they're going to judge me because I'm overweight and I'm not adequate enough to be here and I don't know what I'm doing lifting weights. All these narratives, all these thoughts of potential disastrous outcomes that are not real. And so the only way that you can overcome a fear is if you have the courage to face it. And so I, my goal with that person is to empower them with the lowest level fear that they are willing to face head on, that we can walk through together to overcome that fear, because now they have a little bit more confidence to face the next one, knowing that the first one wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. And then the next one isn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. And then they do prep their breakfast and they do take it to work and they say no to the donuts and nobody judges them. No one cares. So Mm -hmm. it's slowly walking that person to feel empowered so that then they get into a groove of, I can do anything and they don't have to suffer and they don't get to the other side of that extreme principle because they're not pushed that far, right? It's just slowly focusing on, well, what beliefs do we have? How do we shift this narrative, right? How do we give you evidence that that belief's not real? And then we can cultivate new beliefs and new narratives and empower them differently so that they have the courage to continue to move that needle forward. Isn't there an element of choice in this because what you just said sounds kind of similar to this concept of i like this you know you can you give yourself permission to effectively quit mm-hmm. you get to do it tomorrow instead of today right and when people feel like they have options i've noticed anyway they tend to make better choices or they feel better about the whole situation so and it sounded like that was woven in there too is that important to give people a sense that they can choose to quit or they can choose, right? Because you said they go into the locker room, but then they can choose to still go home. Yep. Yeah. So I think that that's important because once you get there, you also are putting the power back onto them. Like my job is not to control what you do. I don't dictate the outcome. It does not impact my life. I just want to give you a different perspective and give you options because once you're there, it's like, well, I've driven here. I've put on my sneakers. I've gone to the, I've gone through the gym. Cause you have to walk to the back usually to get to the locker room. No one said anything. I wasn't yelled at. No one made fun of me. So now that belief is broken. Okay. Well, what happens if I stick around? Right? So I think most people become entirely curious once they feel like it's not that bad. So what happens if I actually go out there? And then what happens if I pick up a weight? And because I'm not forcing that action, They get to choose it, which gives them the power to say, and they're entirely excited. I stayed, I worked out. I worked out for the first time in three years, right? I picked up a weight. I I did cardio for 30 minutes. No one said anything. I actually made a friend. And so instead of pushing people into a corner, it's like, this is the challenge that I want you to do, but you still have a choice. If indeed it's entirely uncomfortable to you, you can walk away. I'm not here to hold your, like to force your hand, but inevitably most people will make the right decision for them. And I think one thing to note too, that I find entirely important and and quite powerful is when I bring somebody on, one of the first exercises that I have them do is write them a letter to themselves in this moment, basically saying, today's the day that I change. And they map out all of the habits, behaviors, beliefs, narratives, habits, all the things that have gotten them to this point. Because you have to have problem awareness in order to solve a problem, you have to acknowledge that it exists. And then I have them map out exactly who it is that they want to be on the other side of this experience. Who is the person that you're actively evolving into? And I think that's important because if you don't know the direction in which you want to travel, if you're not oriented towards anything, you don't have a clear outcome goal that you're actively working towards every day. And so when they map that out, when they get in those situations, I always encourage them to ask themselves, instead of what do I want to do right now? 
Like maybe you're an emotional eater and you're like, I don't want to deal with this chaos. I just want cookies and cakes and ice cream. Okay. But what would she do? What would that future version of you do? How would they respond to this stress? How would they handle themselves? Because most people, when they treat themselves like that, they have no level of self-respect, right? You would, and if you have no level of self-respect for yourself, I can only imagine how that trickles over into your life, how people treat you, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your boss, your friends. And so it's like, if you don't start having enough self-respect to say, no, I'm not treating myself this way, right? That's where it carries over into them feeling empowered in other areas of their life. But it starts with them. And a lot of people don't see that. And so when you give them a future frame in a moment of high stress or chaos, it's like, okay, well, I can orient myself in that direction. Even if emotionally, I don't feel like doing that. At least they're aware of what the best decision is that they can make in that moment. And then it's on them to make that decision. You're reframing their whole identity, right? This is also about bypassing willpower to oversimplify it a little bit because people overwhelmingly are more likely to make a choice that is in line with their default settings, who they feel like they are. So you're talking about hacking their identity with an aspirational identity and moving them along so that way the choices simply become easier. Yeah, I like exactly. And it's, and you think that we know that willpower is a depleting resource, right? And so I think that in moments where willpower is very low and there are many things that you can get a dopamine hit from or something to distract yourself. I think that most people mindlessly engage in those activities because they don't have the conscious awareness that they're working towards becoming something different. And we talk about long-term change. And this is the importance of looking at your current habits, behaviors, beliefs, narratives, and actions. Because if you don't do that, you're not even aware of what got you here. And so if you're not aware of what got you here, then we're not aware of what we need to change. Because fundamentally, that's exactly what we're doing when we're changing someone's you know, health and fitness, especially if it's long-term or if they have a lot of weight to lose. It's like, well, inevitably, you cannot be the same person, right? You, you just can't. The way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you cope, um, the way that you you know manage yourself or other people, you're not your best. So I want to help you become the best version of yourself that you possibly can be. But in order for us to do that, we have to be on the same page about where you want to go. So you tell me, who do you want to be? Right. Again, like this is not me forcing their hand. It's more of a conversation. And then we get clear on that so that I can map their success path and the things that we need to focus on both. Yes, fundamentally on an execution basis and nutrition and lifestyle management and the whole nine, but also internally, psychologically, what are we working towards? Who do we need to become through this process? And what do we need to sacrifice in order to do that? Because then we're setting expectations and realistic ones. Because no matter what path somebody picks, there's pain and suffering that's inevitable, right? The pain and suffering of staying the same, even though you loathe it and it makes you incredibly insecure, right? You don't show up as your best self. And then that trickles down if you're a mother or a father and you have children, you're leading with that example. Or the pain and suffering required for you to take action and be uncomfortable and face your fears and say no to the dessert and set a boundary and advocate for yourself. There's two words that I find fundamentally most people struggle with, with the concept and sense of self in their life. permission and acceptance, permission to try something new, permission to fail, permission to suck, permission to learn, permission to do the things that you actually want to do versus things you feel forced to do. And then acceptance of there's going to be bad days. The weather's going to suck. You're going to be tired, right? You're going to have to make sacrifices. You have to accept that some of these things are elements of the human experience. And I think that one of my biggest 
thorns in my my side with just culture is that we're trying to eliminate all of the negative things that people experience in life, whether it's emotional or outside sources or whatever it might be. But I think that we wouldn't know joy without pain, right? You wouldn't know happiness without sadness. And so if we removed all the negative, then that the positives would never exist. And so it's like, okay, well, if we can accept that it's going to rain sometimes, right? Then we can systemize a strategy for how to operate when the weather's not so great, for example, but metaphorically as well. And knowing that every season of life will shift and inevitably this storm will pass, then you have the power again to go, who do I want to be on the other side of this? What can I control? What do I focus on? How do I move forward? Because it's not about moving at the speed of light all the time. That's not that's not possible for all people all, always. There are seasons of chaos and stress. And then there are seasons of peace and, and joy and excitement and all the things. And so you leverage those. But you also give yourself permission to go, okay, this season of my life is fucking crazy, but I can still control these things. And that's what I set non-negotiables. You guys probably hear me say that all the time. But it's like, if you have non-negotiables through seasons of chaos, it's like, okay, well, I know fundamentally on a daily basis, I'm still executing, which means even if I'm only moving at five miles per hour instead of 10 or 20, I'm still moving in the right direction. And that's the most important thing long-term. It's not how fast you go. It's the fact that you get there or you're moving and you keep going. Yeah, so um, I I always find that a lot of time when new clients come in and and where Andrew and I are both mainly strength coaches, um, they always want to skip that deep dive into why they want to change or why they want to work on their physique. Um, every all the goals are very surface level, and like you said before, like that's the hard part is understanding why you are the way you are and why you want to change. It's hard to accept that. This is why you're feeling how you're feeling. Um, so specific to lifters, why do you think that, you know, creating your why is so important? So first thing I want to note is you should, this is one of the biggest like psychological shifts that I've had in understanding human beings there. When you ask somebody why they're doing something, there's two reasons. One is the logical reason and one is the real reason, mm-hmm. right? And so if I ask you why you brush your teeth, right? You're going to tell me that it's for your dental health, right? You don't want cavities. Great. But why don't you brush your teeth after you drink coffee in the afternoon? And why do you drink before you go out on a date? I mean, why do you brush your teeth before you go out on a date? And it's like, well, because there's, I want to be attractive and I want to be socially accepted and I want to have good breath for this person or whatever it might be, right? If it's truly just about dental hygiene, then you would be adamant about brushing your teeth multiple times a day, especially after you have coffee and you're flossing. Like, while that's a great answer, that's not actually the underlying reason. And so whenever somebody, I ask somebody why they want to do this, they're going to give me a service level answer always, but that's when I'll probe like, but why is this important to you now? Right. What is the moment, right? There's all, everybody has this. Everybody has the moment where it was like, this cannot go on any longer. I want to know about that. So tell me more. Right. And then you can just listen and get curious, but for a lot of women or men, both of them, right? Strength training, if you ask, well, you know, I wanna, I wanna be strong, I wanna lead my family, I wanna be this. Fundamentally, when it comes down to whether it's weight loss or gaining muscle or changing your body composition or physique, right? There's some level of insecurity that you want to alleviate, whether it's with your spouse or your partner or your friends or the way people talk about you, or you went to a social gathering and somebody said something, or you're getting married and your aunt and uncle were like, what happened to you? Like, whatever it might be right? Fundamentally, most people lack confidence. And so I want to figure out one, where that came from, 
Two, does that opinion actually matter to you? Because if it's not meaningful to you, the pursuit won't last, like at the end of the day. And three, where do we go from here? right? What is it that you want to accomplish and why do you want to do it? And why is this important to you right now? And if you can get to the bottom of those questions by further probing that person, right? Because one, one mentor once told me you ask very skilled questions and that's why you get very skilled answers. And I think that if we only stick to kind of the, the day-to-day questions when we're talking to people, we don't actually challenge them to dive into their own mind because a lot of them don't know why. Like truly there's a moment and they know that they want to change, but it's like, well, what caused that? Like, why is this super important to you now? Where did that come from? Right. And then you can dive into the belief system around, well, I'm not good enough. My husband says, if I'm not a size four, well, why, where does that come from? Right. And then it gets into a more emotional conversation and then you get to the root cause of the problem. Right. And that's where we can start to provide a solution. I want to double down on something you said. And I'm reminded, I just came from a conference and Alex Hermosi was on stage and I like Alex. Alex this guy. And he was giving a sales presentation and he showed the spectrum of, and he got the audience to raise their hand, 700 coaches who considers themselves a logical decision maker when it comes to, you know, buying and some raise their hands. And he's, and then the other end of the spectrum is who considers themselves an emotional decision maker. And of course, I'm sitting there going, thinking to myself, there's no such thing as a rational decision maker. It doesn't exist, right? And there are a lot of people who will tell themselves they are, but this is you know, paraphrasing what you're saying. And it applies to the sales process for coaches and for anyone listening while you buy stuff, but it applies to any decision you make. There is everything that we think we're doing rationally. There is an emotional thing driving it. And a reason that we've layered on top of it that is often the socially acceptable reason or the reason that we think someone wants to hear. But I promise you, every single damn thing is about the emotion. And I use this example. I like my Jeep. I've driven, this is my second Jeep. And I could say, well, I like the design, you know, and I like the way it drives, blah, blah, blah. There's something about Jeeps that just emotionally I like. And I bought this vehicle because of the way it makes me feel that I like it. And that is purely emotional. There's no rationality behind it, right? There's not really a lot of rationality as to why we like certain brands. And if nothing else, if we just accept the fact that a lot of the stuff is driven by this underlying emotion, and we can dispense with this idea that we, all these creative reasons that we've cooked up was why we do shit, then I think that opens the doors to, to change, which is ultimately exactly what you're talking about. I like this stuff. Bailey, what else you got? Yeah, well, I mean, some people don't, maybe they don't have the the funds to pay for a coach, whether mindset, strength, whatever. Um, so what would you say to someone that they feel like they want to change, um, but they don't know how, and they just want to get started? And I, I think a really good place to start is with this mindset, figuring out, you know, why you want to make all these changes. But where would you start someone? Yeah. So I would, I would first bring them through the exercise of like, how did we get here? Well, first we need to identify like, what is the change you want to make? Right. First and foremost, right. What is that? 
And then why, where did that come from? What triggered that? What truly triggered that? Like, what was the moment? If you can find that you're, you're in a good spot. Then we want to figure out again, actions, beliefs, habits, narratives that have gotten you to this place. What are they? Get clear. Again, I always tell people lead with curiosity, not judgment, because the moment that you start to judge yourself or shame yourself, you're already taking 10 steps back when it takes a lot of courage to look under the hood and go, God, this is a dumpster fire, right? That's hard for people to do and accept but accept it knowing that you can change it. And this is the first phase. And then you have to get clear on, well, where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? And how do they behave, right? The things that you're doing on the side of the coin where it's your your daily actions, your daily habits, your coping strategies, right? Your emotional regulation, whatever that might be. What are you doing right now that is self-sabotaging the progress or desired outcome that you have, right? Because that's first and foremost what we need to break away from. Because you cannot stack more and more on your plate, right? So we have to create space for change. So phase one is always, we need to break through these these certain habits that you have. And then we need to create that space to build new ones, right? But we can't just stack things on top of each other because that's what crumbles. We need a solid foundation. And so it's starting to slowly pivot. And I say slowly with a lot of emphasis. When I'm working with someone, I'm not giving them a meal plan and a training plan and all these things right off the bat, especially someone that has ground zero experience in all of it. I'm like, cool, let's, let's look at your day to day. What are your current habits and behaviors around food? Maybe you drive to McDonald's every single day. You're like lunch. I drive to McDonald's. It's right next door. Like, great. Let's try to do that four times this week instead of seven. One change, because if I can start to solidify one habit shift that they have, where now, again, they might fear bringing food to work. That might be their fear as well. So now I've tackled a fear. I've given them a solution. We can start to prioritize this habit, which fundamentally will change their behavior, right? And so if that's one small thing that we can tick off the box, that's one thing. Maybe they're entire set, entirely sedentary. Like, okay, cool. During your lunch break, I want you to take a 10-minute walk before you eat or after you eat for whatever reason, whatever their schedule might look like. Before you sit down on the couch and start eating the chips in front of the TV mindlessly, Right. When you clock off of work before you sit down, I just want you to go for a 15 minute walk outside. Right. So now we have them being more active, but I'm not sitting here saying you have to hit 10,000 steps and you have to eat this amount of food and you have to do all these things like, no, if I can look at their habits and behaviors and say, I want to shift this behavior and now align it with this one. Right. Then I'm not overhauling and saying you can't go to McDonald's at all ever because if I tell somebody they can't have something just like a child, they'll fixate on it. And so if you can audit where you are and what's gotten you here and also the things that you want to change because people want to change and they know what their problems are fundamentally. People don't have an information issue. They have an implementation issue. And so if we can bring the awareness to these things by auditing themselves with curiosity and getting them to be creative and imaginary of who you could be if you really committed. And I don't mean half-stepping this effort. I mean like really committing. And when you're truly committed to something, you're like, this is gonna work out. Like I'm gonna do whatever I can to make this work even when it's hard. And if you have that push, then it's, it's okay. Well, maybe you don't drink any water and it's like, all right, well, let's try to have like two bottles of water today. And you can still have your diet Coke or whatever it might be that you usually drink. It's, it's not shifting the whole paradigm overnight. That's never going to last. It's going to be entirely stressful and overwhelming, especially if this person has a family and other obligations in their day to day. It's just, it's not going to be an easy thing. And so we want to decrease the amount of effort that is required for them to start making change. So they can start to see the positive feedback. And once they start to see the positive feedback loop, well, then they're now motivated. And we can use that motivation to propel them to the next fear or the next habit that we want to shift. 
So it's, that would be my answer is auditing yourself, looking at where you want to go and then starting to break away from the things that you dislike that you're doing that, you know, don't serve your future self. And then starting to build a roadmap as to what little things can I do today that will move that needle forward. So I can bridge the gap between who I am and who I want to become. Yeah. And so I know, I mean, I'm, I'm type A, so organization and and planning is very important to me, but I know not a lot of people are like that. Do you think that that's important um, in going through that process is planning and having a routine? Yes, because the people that say that planning stresses them out have never planned, right? So people that would argue like, oh, discipline is overwhelming, right? Discipline is not freedom. I'm like, no, because I know that I walk into my office and I do this every day. I have a big three power list. It's like three things, non-negotiable. I have to get done by the end of every day, no matter what. By the time I'm done, whether it's four o'clock in the afternoon or nine o'clock at night, if I'm done at four in the afternoon, I'm like, cool, that's, that's done. Now I'm free to do the other things. And I have now decreased the amount of stress that would be on my plate if I just didn't have any type of plan. And then I get a notification that this deadline is due or this needs to be done or whatever it might be. It's like, no, the more that you can structure yourself, most people, like I said, they have an implementation problem. So if we don't have a system or structure that they can, that will help them function appropriately and get into alignment with the actions that they need to take to get to where they want to go, then inevitably they're going to be stressed out and anxious because they don't know how to achieve this goal. They just don't know what to do. And they haven't taken the time to sit down and go, okay, well, this is my week and these are my office hours. And this is when I'm picking the kids up from school. And this is when I need to bring them to practice. And it's like, okay, well, now we have an exact map of your week. What little things can we act, can we add in as far as activities or prep or whatever it might be to start shifting these habits fundamentally? And that's what I do. Our coaches do every single, every client that we bring on, we have an examination call. We literally map out their week and their time blocks. So we can go, okay, on Tuesday at 4 p.m., you're going to take a 30 minute walk after you get off of work, but before you have to go pick up the kids at six, right? It's like little things like that where it's mapped out for them. It's like, holy fucking shit, I'm actually doing this and I'm seeing progress. And it wasn't that hard to systemize, but because they haven't done it, they have a belief around what it would do or how much more stressful it would be to plan. But the problem is, again, they're fearful of the uncertainty of it. Whereas if they just face it and sit down and do it, they really they realize that it's actually a lot more freeing than it is stressful. Yeah, it's got a certain spot in the day for sure. And I know being a personal trainer, like my day, some, you know, I'll, I'll map out my whole day and then the next day one, two cancels and it all just sort of feels like it's crumbling. Um, but do you think sort of having backup plans and oh, if this, then I'll do that is also important? I think I have two answers to this. I say this all the time and I get a lot of lashback from it, but I do not believe in balance. I think that if you want to excel in any arena, you only have so much energy to distribute. And so mm-hmm. if you try to distribute all of your energy equally into many different buckets, you're never going to actually be good or certainly excel in any of them. You might just maintain mediocrity, which if that's fine with you, that's okay. Right. So that's my first point is like, if you can get clear about what your priorities are, you also then have to counter with what am I willing to suck at? Right. Mm-hmm. And then when you suck at it, it's peaceful because it's like, well, I kind of knew pursuing this, that that was going to sit on the back burner. And that's okay. Again, the acceptance idea, permission to pursue this thing with every ounce of things, that you know, energy that I have and acceptance that this will also suffer with my decision to pursue that, right? So once you have that, you have peace of mind. But as far as like your schedule or things going off track, I think that you have to have this gap of on the best day. I expect this level of excellence for myself 
on my worst day, I expect this level of excellence for myself. And you operate within the spectrum, right? I, I don't think binary thinking is helpful for anyone. So I think that the more that you can say, okay, well, if I feel great and my schedule goes the way that I that I want it to go, because even with a plan, and, and this is one thing as far as systems or schedules go, even with a plan, shit happens always. Doesn't matter. Things go perfect. Then your car breaks down and it rains outside and then your lunch gets eaten by somebody else or whatever it might be, right? Shit happens. So you have to live in this balance of I've planned for excellence, but I am okay with checking these boxes at a minimum. So I think that if you can meet yourself there, you always, again, have the power to decide, well, even though today's not the best day, I actually performed somewhere in the middle, which was even higher than my baseline expectation. And that still feels like a win, right? Because at least you're not regressing or going backwards. And that's always the goal. So I think operating somewhere in the middle is is ideal. How much do you think people plan for failure? And a lot of the stuff that you've talked about, you know, there's resistance that people put up, pushback, the... And I wonder just how much of these justifications, narratives, rationalizations, stories are really just buffers because they believe that they're going to be unsuccessful and therefore they are, for lack of a better way of saying it, sandbagging so that when they fail, because they believe that they're going to fail, then, you know, it's it's not as damaging to who they are. And ultimately, it keeps them from committing to doing things that will leave them being successful. Is that true? So I think that one of the best quotes ever is you think, therefore you are, right? So if I decide in my brain, even if I don't say it out loud, that I'm actually not going to achieve this goal, subconscious things will manifest into your external reality. So if you don't believe that you can actually achieve this goal, the odds that you put in your absolute best effort are minimal, truly, because you've already decided it's not worth committing to. Again, we're not committed, we're interested right? We want it, but only if it goes the, the way that we want it to go. And only if we have to do this lower level of effort and there's not a lot of sacrifice involved, like then I'm interested in it. Sure. Whereas if you're committed, it's like, okay, I'm giving this my all, my best effort. I'm facing my fears. I'm overcoming these obstacles. I'm in it to win. And I think once you commit to anything and truly commit to it, you cannot fail if you refuse to quit, period. Now failure, I think that for me, I, I've reframed the way that I believe failure works in the world. Failure is truly a shortcoming in a certain arena relative to your expectations of that pursuit. So if I've never done gymnastics, but I am really good as a basketball player, a lot of us, especially as you're older, you're wiser, you're more intelligent, you're like, I don't want to look like a toddler or deer in headlights, right? So my expectation of my performance is to carry over my abilities in this arena that they should translate over here. Now, inevitably, they don't. And then we fear judgment, ridicule, ridicule, lashback, whatever that is, right? Coming up short in certain certain things. But I don't see that as failure. I just see that as, okay, I didn't know something or I didn't have a skill set that I needed. And if indeed I can also humble myself to reflect on that experience and take the feedback from it, I can improve next time, right? That is truly what failure is. It's a shortcoming relative to your expectation of what it would have looked like on the other side. Failure is talking yourself out of the game before you even walk into the arena. It's like, I am not even willing to go in the door because what you're doing there is you are choosing a path of failure. You are choosing not to find out all that it is that you can achieve. You don't even know where your upper limit is in said arena because you don't have the willingness to walk through the door and go, okay, this might be quite bad. But 
I'm going to learn from it. And when I learn from it, I will inevitably improve. And eventually, if I don't quit on that pursuit, I will succeed in it. And then you've won. So I don't see failure. I don't know that you can fail unless you quit or you refuse to walk in the door in the first place. Yeah, it's all a learning experience, right? So like you said, reflecting back on how you perform, what you could do better, you know, why you weren't equipped with uh, the skills that you needed. And if you if you want to be good at that, then those are the things you have to work on. Um, mm-hmm. So with with lifters, I always find personally when you start with a beginner, um, you sort of watch their mindset change somewhat naturally with going to the gym. Do you think there's anything to that? Obviously, there's always room for improvement, but what are your thoughts on that? So I think the first thing is people, like I said, they have a, a narrative outcome of like, I'm not adequate or good enough to be here. I'm going to suck and everyone's going to judge me, right? Everyone thinks that everyone else is thinking about them when no one is thinking about them at all, right? You're not that important. So once you go through that, it's like, okay, well, no, no one actually cares that I'm here and no one's judging me. And if they are, fuck them, like they have their own problem. And so outside of that, especially someone who's new to lifting, it can show you a lot about what you're what you're capable of doing. Like, I think that having a strong mind, having a strong body is just your physical representation of your internal sense of self. And so the more that someone increases their strength or they overcome the obstacle, they're losing body fat and they're increasing lean body mass. And they're walking around with a little bit more gait and like a little more pep in their step. And they're, you know, radiating that confidence. It's like, of course, this is an empowering thing that you're doing to yourself, right? You're showing up to do hard things and you're putting in work to improve yourself. And that comes down to that level of self-respect. And so the more that you respect yourself and the more that you show up and then the more that you see the benefit of that pursuit, the more excited that you get. And then the more ambitious that you get, because at first you thought your ceiling was, well, I can't pick up 20 pounds. And now you're like, this week I'm bumping 45s, like, you know, and it's like that upper limit theory. But if you go back to Gay Hendricks book, it's like, we, we all kind of set this upper limit. It's like, I can do this, but only this far. And then when you have the courage to push past that, you're like, well, I can achieve a lot more than I initially thought that I could. And I think that's the drive that seasoned lifters get. Like for me, it was at first I couldn't deadlift, you know, 250. And then I got up to 280 and then I hit 300 and then I hit 315. And I was like, this is way beyond my expectations. And now I'm just having fun with it because I don't know where my upper limit is, but I'm going to fuck around and find out because that's the thrill. It's the evolution of sense of self. And that comes down to, again, carrying over into how you show up, how you communicate, your confidence level, what you represent, all the other avenues of your life just flourish. And, and I think that's one of the most empowering things about working out is that can't be handed to you. Like you have to earn that. And it proves to you what it is that you're actually capable of doing. Yeah. So then with um, advanced lifters, you know, they get to that point where, oh, I did way better than I thought I could. Um, what do you think? that advanced lifters usually struggle with say they hit a plateau um they're prepping for some sort of competition and it's you know they're struggling um where do you think that usually stems from i think that once you once you again once you excel in anything right you start from novice you beat your expectations you continue to move that forward and then you stick mm-hmm. i think there then there comes the acceptance of well we all have an upper limit somewhere right you can only get so strong you can only get so big um, but this is where I would shift the goalpost. So if indeed we've, we've hit our max on a certain lift or whatever that might be for this person during this training cycle of whatever it might be, right. We can focus on, well, what does your tempo look like? 
right? Or maybe we change training styles and then we start to advance in different training. Um, and I think that that's the fun thing about training is that you can always shift the goalpost because there's so many different training styles, so many different avenues in which you can excel. And then shifting that even for a short period, coming back to it, you might actually push past where your previous sticking point was. And so the further advance that you get as an athlete, right? The more the minor adjustments, the minor increases matter a ton, right? So it's like, maybe it's only two and a half more pounds on that deadlift, but that is still a massive amount of progress to someone who's been lifting for a long time. That's been stuck at that same weight, knowing that inevitably at some point you may be able to push past that, but it's also killer if you don't as well, because relative to your baseline, you've already pushed past the expectations that you ever have for yourself. And so it's continuing to evolve in different ways. And with training, you guys know there's so many different styles and things that you can manipulate as far as intensity, volume, frequency, et cetera, um, that will make the training more difficult or more advanced or more fun or more challenging or maybe recovering. And that's fine too. Um, I think it's just knowing that it's okay to shift the goalpost for a little while and it's okay to pull back, right? Most people that are that way, that are a little type A, like they're driven to always excel and always push the ceiling and always hit previous points that they stuck or always push past their current limits. Like that's super fun. And I love that. Like I'm the same way, but also that can be very dangerous, right? There's a dark side to any trait that is admired specifically. And there are certain things that you're willing to do. Like I said, I was willing to suffer for a lot of things for through a lot of seasons for a lot of reasons, but I didn't have to. And so it's like, Again, if we're going to play this game and we want to play the game for the rest of your life, which is inherently finite, right, then we have to play at a pace that's fun to play. And so always pushing past that limit or forcing yourself to push past that limit or feeling like a failure, again, identifying your sense of self with the pursuit you are going after, well, that will never leave you feeling fulfilled. And so I think that it's it's challenging that, shifting it, but also going, even if I don't hit a PR today, I'm still fucking awesome. And that's cool too. And something you said right there, and I've experienced this myself, you can also change the comparison, right? As you excel, you know, both career, um, you know, I buy many metrics. I've had a very successful career in fitness. And on top of that, you know, your physique, right? And recently I sustained an injury that I still am working on and it's sort of limiting some of the things I can do. And of course, then you turn around and you put yourself in rooms and realms where you're around incredibly successful people. And you're around, quote, younger and, quote, fitter and stronger people. And you have to be really on guard against all of a sudden measuring up against new comparisons, which can be very difficult for someone who you know has worked very hard for a long time to feel pretty good. Um, it's, it's just a lens that I think we have to be very guarded against doing. And, you know, even... For those of us who've been doing this a fairly long time, we can still be fairly vulnerable. So I just think that it's really important not to go in overconfident about our invulnerability, our infallibility, um, or become too confident in how we measure our successes and stay humble in the process. And I think one of the most important things when it comes to that is we are programmed by default to compare ourselves to other people. That's just how human beings are. We will always do this. But I think the way that you compare yourself is the most important thing. If indeed you're looking at yourself and comparing yourself to another person and because of their success, you deem yourself as inadequate or less than, 
right? You're looking from the wrong perspective. Like whenever I am looking at someone or admiring someone, it's truly an admiration, right? If I ever feel like I set a limit on myself and then I see somebody else doing something that I want to do, it's like, fuck, why can't I? What do you mean you can't? Like there's evidence that that's possible for you. Whereas if, you know, I see someone playing high level division basketball now, like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I, I could beat them maybe. Like, I don't know. But it's like, that's also dope to see this person expressing themselves in a way that they can do that without having to say anything. Or maybe it's an outlet for them too. And I just get very curious, but I have such an admiration for it versus oh, I'm comparing myself to this and then therefore I'm now inadequate, right? It's, I think that if you can appreciate someone else and also know that regardless of how much you might want to be someone, the reality is you never fucking will. So what are you going to do about it, right? And then go, okay, well, where do I, this is again, like having clarity on where do you want to go? Like where you are in your life, Andrew, now is probably very different from where you were 15 years ago. And so it's like the person that you might compare yourself to might be younger than you and might be newer or, you know, just getting into the game. It's like, but your future self is is thinking a decade ahead while they're just trying to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. And so while they might be doing something that's entirely admirable and maybe even inspiring, it's like, that's freaking cool. But I'm still over here working on this path to go this direction because that's meaningful to me. And I think detaching yourself by reminding yourself where you're going and why you're going there alleviates all of the comparison that we can get caught up in sometimes. Mm-hmm. We want to be respectful of your time as we're running down, but did you have anything else really, you know, really important that you wanted to ask Kate first? I just think it would be beneficial to to get an answer from you about this. It's I think it's really important for a coach to be able to to bring that person back to, you know, this is where you came from. This is big picture, how far you've come. Um, but so what would be the way in which and how do you know when to sort of sugarcoat things uh, and then be more on the realistic side as a coach. So this is something somebody actually asked me this at the at the conference that we spoke at. Um, and how do you feel about tough love? Yeah. And my answer was you can give realistic feedback without being a dick, right? Because I think it's 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 not what you say, but how you say it. And I think for me, this is why I spend a lot of time investing in understanding the people that I'm working with because I cannot effectively coach all of them the same. Their temperaments are different. The way that they respond, the way that they need to be spoken to, to receive what I'm saying is very different. And so I think if you can understand somebody on a psychological level, you can understand how to effectively communicate with them. And so I think that there's a balance between like, you need to hear this and I'm going to say this and this might hurt your feelings, but I need you to get on this page because you can do this you've proven because by this time, I mean, there's evidence that they can succeed. So they're in a rut of some, of some capacity relative to some stimulus or something that happened. And so it's like, this is the reminder of the evidence that we have that you can indeed do this thing. It is up to you to decide whether you're going to do it or not. Right. I know you can do it and you know, you can do it too. So let's get to the actual problem that's causing you to behave in this way or feel this way, like what's actually fundamentally going on, right? Because most of the time when people, whether they retract and they get quiet or they get a little bit outlandish, it's like, okay, well, this is a reaction due to something. So let's talk about what happened so that we can work through whether this is real or this is just a belief or a story that you're telling yourself about yourself that's impacting our progress this way, right? So you can challenge them with authority 
but not be a dick about it. And I think that if you can lead with childlike curiosity, when you're speaking to someone about a situation that they have, you can then help them work through that on their own, right? Because as coaches, we are supposed to empower people to make that decision that is best for them, but also bring a level of awareness of, okay, let's walk through this. Like, is this real? Is there any evidence that this thing is true? Or is this just a story that you're telling yourself? Like, what evidence do you have that anything about you being inadequate or a piece of shit or a lazy fuck? Like, where's the evidence? Tell me. And most of the time they have nothing, right? It's just a thought or a fear or something that came up that's emotionally impacting them, which is then shutting down their logical brain, which is causing them to react in an emotional manner. And so I think it's just being patient, but also understanding the person and then meeting in the middle to help them solve that problem and you're kind of guiding them down that path of conversation this is why i wanted to bring you on here after getting to see you know part of your talk at the the real coaches summit i thought you'd be a great guest so i really appreciate you sharing all this stuff i mean i could tell bailey's like lit right up because you know this stuff's fascinating i think for the coaches listening but i hope there's a lot in this for you know our everyday enthusiast lifters and there's a ton here. Certainly, I think maybe one of the most important things is to be comfortable challenging your narratives, the stories you tell yourself that that's sort of protecting you, keeping you safe, you know, keeping you from maybe putting yourself out there and experiencing failure. And also the way that you defined how you actually look at failure too. It's, it's only if you quit. Where can people find more of this stuff, this message, your media, where do they go? If you are looking to follow along, um, I am Kate and Michelle on every platform. So Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Um, and then I do have a podcast under Elevate. It is also under Kate and Michelle if you search that as well. So if you want to listen to more, check me out there. Wonderful. And if you are a listener who has found Kate through, uh, found us through you know her media, well, you can scroll through our guests We've had some of the other speakers at um, the Real Coaches Summit, uh, most notably Eve Guzman, who brought a huge group of people to that event. She's wonderful. So check that out too, please. And for any of our listeners, go follow Kate. Go check out more of what she's doing. I think it's going to be really helpful. Uh, Kate, thanks for taking the time to come talk to us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.